Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. So Pope Francis has rightly critiqued our, uh, our modern culture with the phrase that we're a throwaway culture. He's used that phrase in different homilies and Wednesday general audiences. He says we far too easily dispose of things, but worst of all, the critique is mostly leveled against the fact that we just so far too easily dispose of people, that we label people as burdensome or unwanted, and we want to get rid of them, right? It's most clearly seen, of course, in in, um, abortion, euthanasia, those sorts of things. And he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. Say what you want about Pope Francis, but in that regard, he's absolutely right. There's also, though, there's also a throwaway culture, a throwaway impulse, I think, also in the heart of the church, in the bloodstream of the church as well, a sort of a type of, um, it's kind of like an iconoclasm. It's a desire to just get rid of, dismiss, demolish, push away anything that we see or deem as unholy, anything that seems impure or unfit or anything that's at odds with the gospel or our faith. And in one sense, yes, abhor everything that God condemns, right? We are right to abhor rape and murder and torture and human trafficking and abortion and sin and evil and all of its manifestations, right? Idolatry, idolatry, greed, envy, all of it. We should despise what God despises. That's right. That's true. But at the same time, in the church, as Christians, we never throw away persons. We never throw away persons, even the most misguided persons. We ask questions. That's what Jesus did. What are you looking for? What are you seeking, right? We ask questions. We assume, or we ought to assume at least, a posture of curiosity because behind every heresy is a misguided heretic who is absolutely beloved by God. Right? Behind every heresy is a misguided heretic, a lost sheep who is bought with the precious blood of Jesus. That's true. All right, why am I saying all this? Because in the first reading we see St. Paul. We see St. Paul strolling through perhaps the most confused, heretical, abhorrent, misguided part of the ancient world, an area of Athens known as the Areopagus, Mars Hill. It was a, the court of the Epicureans. It was a place for um, debate and just think of like that coexist bumper sticker. It was basically that in a geographical location, right? Every idea was fair game. Nobody was right. Everybody was right. That's what the Areopagus was. And not only that, historians tell us that the Areopagus was filled with uh, a lot of sexually explicit statues and images. I know, you don't usually think of that sort of thing, but it's true. I mean, they didn't have the internet in in the ancient world. They didn't have the printing press. So what do you do? You carve something lewd. You paint something lewd. You do a mosaic of something impure, right? All right, so what do you have in the Areopagus? You've got terrible philosophies. You've got misguided notions. You've got pornographic imagery. You've got idolatry and paganism. And St. Paul comes to this area. And what does he say to all these people? He says, 
You sinners! You're all damned and going to hell. No, obviously not. He doesn't say that. I'm glad you were paying attention this morning. Very good. Okay. No, he says something pretty astonishing, actually. He says something very, pretty astonishing. He says, I see that you Athenians are a very religious people. Like, imagine walking down the strip in Las Vegas. You got essentially brothels here and prostitutes here and gambling and debauchery and every kind of sin and vice. And you walk down and you're like, I see that you are a very religious people. And if you've been to Las Vegas, I, I highly doubt that that was probably a thought that passed through your mind, right? That's what he says. What is he seeing? He says, I see in all of this a hunger, a search, like a longing to know the truth, a longing for fullness and meaning of life. I, I, I see your desires getting all twisted up. And he's saying, let me show you what you're actually looking for. Like in this altar to an unknown God, let me show you what you're actually looking for in all of your misguided searching. Paul didn't throw it all away, right? He didn't say this is all garbage. He entered into it and lovingly sought to show them who it was that they were looking for in this altar to an unknown God. Paul, in the Areopagus, he, he reminds me of something that I was reading in this book recently. It's called God is Beauty. It's, uh, it was published by the Theology of the Body Institute. It's a retreat that was given by a young Carol Wojtyla to artists. So I was reading in this. Um, when he was a student in Rome, he's telling a story of how one day he went down to the Baths of Diocletian, where you'll find all these ancient sculptures, right? So he's going down to this area in Rome, he says, I'm reminded of the day when I wandered for many hours around the baths of Diocletian in Rome. I encountered the masterpieces of ancient Greek sculpture there. there was a very, that was a very laborious day. I took great pains and noticed with what immense effort all those people, those great masters of sculpture, had sought to demonstrate perfect absolute beauty in the human body, right? He's, t he's taken in all of this pagan sculpture. He, he, he doesn't throw it all away, right? You've got images of Zeus, images of Aphrodite, Ares, home, home, like all of these ancient Greek gods and Roman gods. He's seeing all these, he doesn't throw them away and say, this is not Christianity, this is garbage. No, he spends time there and he's asking the question, what were they seeking what were they trying to accomplish? What were they trying to do? And it occurs to him, he says, and in doing so, they had been seeking the incarnation. After this walk of many hours, it took such a great effort to spend time with the ancient pagan art. He's saying, this was, this was difficult work. This was difficult work. I understood the gospel anew looking at these pagan sculptures. I understood the gospel anew, and I understood it better. I understood that what had been the subject of the search for absolute, impeccably perfect beauty in the human body, 
That was the beauty which did indeed become incarnate in the gospel. God who became man. God who revealed himself because he appeared in the flesh. Together with his presence, he brought with him an entire special world of beauty. Beauty that is peculiar to himself. Beauty which is identical with him, but just as he is identical with beauty. See, what John Paul II is saying here, what Carol Wojtyla is, is saying here is, I saw what they were trying to do. Like, this is the approach, this Areopagus, Carol Wojtyla approach. This is the approach that we must take if we ever hope to build bridges to entice the prodigals back home to Mother Church, right? I have a really good friend who has pushed me in this so much over the past few years. His name is Matt. Matt's a, uh, he's a philosopher. He's a father of seven. He's a convert. He's an awesome, all-around great guy. And, and Matt is so good. He is so good at challenging me in this, like in these moments, these places where I just want to write people off, write these situations off, push these people away, throw it away, and just say, this is just, it's all garbage. Matt challenges me because he's always looking for the unknown God, like, what were they looking for? Where is Jesus hidden beneath the rubble of all these terrible ideas and terrible philosophies and terrible decisions? Like, where is Jesus in that? Like, all of the stuff of the last few years that we've been going through, the social unrest, the, the race issues from Black Lives Matter to the intensity of LGBTQ issues that we see in the news, all of that. Like, we could just write it all off or we could say, what are they looking for? What are they looking for? What's the good that they're actually seeking that we can affirm? Like, where's the altar to the unknown God? And how can we show them that it's actually Jesus that you're looking for? And all of this demand for justice, do you not know that it's Jesus that you're looking for? And all this demand for inclusivity, do you, know not, do you not know that it's the communion of saints that you're looking for? All this desire for, for love, do you not know that it's God that you're looking for, right? We can't help but long for Jesus. He's there in the bottom of all of our desires. He's beckoning us home. Even those desires that, that seem to most quickly lead us away from home, right? Just remember, right, the story of the prodigal son. It was that son's hunger for the fullness of life that led him away from the house. It was hunger that led him back home. Hunger led him away, and hunger leads him back home. We have to become more like St. Paul. we got to be more like my friend Matt, who patiently and, and painfully, like John Paul II says, with great pains, we seek to find and name the unknown God that people are looking for. And this is especially true for those of you with, you know, with children and grandchildren who, who's, they are wayward, Right? They're not practicing Catholics. They are running after all sorts of things, right? What's the way to bring them home? Condemn their life decisions, right? Condemn their way, their worldview. Condemn their ideologies. That ain't what St. Paul did. St. Paul, John Paul II, he took time. What's the altar to the unknown God that they are running after? This takes great effort. Holy Spirit, show me what my kids, show me what my grandkids are looking for. Show me the unknown God. Show me how I can invite them back to you. Show me how I can be like St. Paul walking in this Areopagus because it's hard, but it's the only way. 
It's the only, only way. Amen.